We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Microsoft Teams is helping a bicycle company reinvent the way that they work. We make bicycles for everyday riders. Once the pandemic hit, we started doing virtual visits. All of a sudden, we could open up our showroom to customers around the world. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash Teams. kind of mythical powers does a sun devil have? We've got to consider that. It's embarrassing, but we are who we are. We're not a very good team, but we're 3-1 and one somehow. And we got all the voters fools thinking we're pretty good. Jaworski Lane at 275 pounds showed a heck of a lot of athletic ability. Welcome to the Rotowire College Football Podcast unofficially sponsored by Force Factor, Kate Whalen, John McKechnie here with you. It is Wednesday, October 16th, the year 2019, and John Rodrigo Blankenship may have kicked himself right out of the race for the Lou Groza Award. And the Bulldogs right out of the college football playoff <laughs> as well. Really a, a double whammy. Uh, do you want to just dive right into this? I, I told you I would give you the floor at some point, whether it's now, whether it's in the middle of the pod, at the end, maybe all three. Um, if you just want to air your grievances or just kind of walk me through the the cycle of emotions that you went through on Saturday afternoon. It was really something. And um, so I had just gotten finished up hosting the XM show and I, I'm out in the, in the bullpen here at the office and there's literally one other person in the office. And it's like this very nice intern that, that helps out on college football. And he's just watching me like have a mental breakdown, like in the <laughs> <laughs> in the office and like i'm pacing around i'm like doing so all sorts of, earlier this of okay. strange squat lunges and just trying to trying to stay loose but just failing miserably um so basically that whole sequence at the end of the game where Muschamp 
is like, okay, at least Muschamp is dumber than Kirby. Like, at least there's that. He completely screwed up by not going for it on that fourth and three and instead, you know, subjecting his kicker to just, like, embarrass himself with that 57-yard field goal. <laughs> um, so Georgia, I figured, okay, we dodged this bullet. Like, there, there's enough time here. We have a good kicker, actually, even though he got one blocked earlier. Uh, we march down the field. We pretty much get, like, on the very fringe of field goal range right to, like, the 38-yard line. Um, they, they miss a pass to Eli Wolf. They were 0 for 7 targeting tight ends on, on Saturday. A bit very, of a problem. Very sad. Uh, not good. Um, and then they go ahead and do an illegal shift um, mm-hmm. to officially take them out of, out of field goal range. Yeah. Uh, not even Weird the hot time rod. to run that play. Yeah. The illegal shift play. <laughs> you know, I would have broken it out against Alabama in a more crucial situation. Yep. But um, we're, we're good at that sort of thing. And then, yeah, overtime went terribly. From starts it out with that interception. Not uh, his fault, though. The other ones, his fault. Correct. That one egregious drop. Yep. So it, you know, it all melted down. So even even after South Carolina tried to give them the game on a couple of different occasions, Georgia ended up losing it. And you know, I, I had been talking to some friends earlier in the week. I was like, you know, Georgia hasn't really had any adversity to this point. I know like the Notre Dame was game was kind of tough, but Georgia hadn't like. Fromm hadn't gotten sacked or hurried or, or anything really to the, to this point. We hadn't had any turnovers of note. We hadn't anyone had anyone like rush for a touchdown on us. So everything had gone kind of honky dory. And I was like, it'd be kind of nice to see to like get a little bit punched in the face and see how we respond at least before this Florida game coming up uh, you know, November second. I didn't. I didn't want it to get yeah. adversity this was like that. The punch in the face. <laughs> this, this was like a RKO. Yeah, yeah, it really was by freaking Will Muschamp. Like yeah. The, King, oh my God! So Muschamp and Smart are kind of—they have some like Spider-Man meme potential. They, they just which kind of is so unfortunate. Yeah. I think you know, I think Muschamp was like the stud defensive back when Kirby was like a freshman. So like, I think Muschamp <laughs> used to like give him hell all the time in the locker room, and, and Kirby was just running around with his Lego hair. Um, but yeah, I mean, this basically, uh, you know, it felt, it feels like you've seen the film Pop Star, correct? I have. So yeah. you know, you know, Andy Samberg has that trusty turtle Maximus. Sure, and uh, you know he he kind of neglects Max- Maximus there for a little bit. He just assumes that Maximus is going to be fine. Just how mm-hmm. I assume that this Georgia Bulldogs team was just going to be fine, even though you know I w- things weren't uh, as, as dialed in as I would like. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, Andy Samberg or myself realizes that his loved one has soggy bones syndrome, oh. and. And that was SBS. the end. So we learned this week that the Georgia Bulldogs had soggy bone syndrome, and thus we must give them the Viking funeral. It's, uh, it's a sad time. I, I didn't expect to be saying this in October, especially mid-October, but the Georgia Bulldogs are dead. The Georgia Bulldogs are absolutely not dead whatsoever. They are ranked number 10 in the country. They have several opportunities coming up to get some ranked wins. And if they win all those games, we're talking at Florida in a couple weeks, home against Missouri the week after that, at Auburn, not an easy stretch, A&M at home after that. Then they finish out with a really, really tough Georgia Tech team <laughs> sure. on November 30th. If they get through that gauntlet, which they will be favored or at least you know close to a pick in every one of those games, you would think. I guess we'll see where they're at you know, in a couple weeks at Florida and, and then at Auburn, maybe not. But they're still going to have a chance to have one loss heading into the SEC title game. And, you know, they would presumably have to win that game to get into the playoff. Sure. But that was kind of going to be the plan all along, right? I mean, I, I don't think you were expecting or, or certainly hoping to go undefeated, you know, the entire season and then just kind of have 
the ability to take a loss in the SEC title game. I think the expectation is, you know, if you're in any conference, whether it's Wisconsin or Ohio State looking ahead to the Big Ten title game, whether it's Oklahoma looking ahead to the Big 12, um, you know, you, you, you kind of have to expect to win that game. So I don't think this necessarily changes things all that much for Georgia. Obviously, the margin of error is yeah. now razor thin. You can't yeah. afford another one of these games against any of the teams that I just mentioned. Um, but, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think it's fair to completely write them off, although you, you, know, you have your personal biases that I don't. I, yes, I think everything you laid out there is completely reasonable, I think, at, at the very, which is why I'm not understanding so not any of it. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it comes down to, yes, the, the path is still there for Georgia to make a run, but if you lose to South Carolina, I have severe yeah. doubts about your ability to make said run. Right. Like I, I, I don't even feel great about this Kentucky game this weekend because they have <laughs> Lynn, Lynn Bowden potentially at quarterback. He's like a receiver that they're gonna. They've been yeah. doing some Wildcat stuff with. Ran for two hundred yards last weekend, so that could be. Well, this, who's a, this backup South Carolina quarterback that came in and he had a couple big runs. Yeah, to carry on Joiner. So he, yeah, Georgia obviously just has problems uh, with backup quarterbacks. So that was another like fun subplot that always seems to. <laughs> undo georgia when south carolina starters like could barely stand up on the sideline he's like as a teammate holding him up as they're winning the game (laughs) yeah so yeah they were under their third string quarterback yeah good lord um but yeah if if you're gonna lose to south carolina at home what does that say about your chances to beat florida who i thought you know and and we'll get into that game they hung tough with with lsu i'd say all things considered they didn't cover the spread but they they hung tough overall auburn i think that you and i are kind of on the same page here where we don't really know what to make of them after that florida game uh but they could very well be impressive still um a and m i think you can kind of write off as someone that's just gonna like give you give you the old college try and lose every single time they're, um, they're like the chargers of the sec yes exactly man like they're supposed to be good they, they never actually are though so i think that georgia could ve- very realistically end the season 10 and 2 uh, and outside the sec championship game I, I would say florida's probably my favorite out of the east right now um we'll, we'll have to see obviously that that game on mm-hmm. november 2nd will determine a lot of that but yeah, at, at this stage, the way that Georgia runs its offense, being as timid and as uptight as it as it tends to be, it's really it's ridiculous. I mean, this mm-hmm. isn't freshman year, Jake Fromm. This is his third year. This is that was like his thirtieth start the other day, and and that's like that's the amount of trust you give yep. him. And they just don't have they have the talent like talent on paper, I guess, but like the weapons just aren't really like paying off. Other other than George Pickens, really, all these all these highly touted receivers haven't really done a ton. Mm-hmm. So. I don't know what to make of it. I don't know if the run schemes are just really bad. Uh, and everyone was really happy when they got rid of Jim Chaney. But I think the the parallel the parallel between Georgia getting rid of Jim Chaney and then going to James Coley versus LSU going ahead and getting that new uh, like offensive analyst from the Saints and seeing the <clears throat> the impact that that has made. It's night and day, and it's uh, it's embarrassing that Georgia's on the other side of it. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's like a parallel to be drawn with like the Atlanta Falcons, Georgia getting so close a couple of years ago in the national title game? And, you know, obviously they haven't fallen off to the degree that, that the Falcons have. They're not they're not sitting here at one and five. But, um, you know, to get that close, you know, we I, I think the conversation after that was, you know, this that was the, the kind of the first year that a team talent wise could rival what Alabama had been putting on the field for the last six to eight years. And you kind of figured that every year now it was going to be neck and neck and you know, I, I, Alabama has obviously had his troubles with Clemson, but they've still had the upper upper hand against Georgia specifically. Um, I mean, do do you feel like there is 
like that gap is as narrow as it seemed like it was two national championships ago, you know, compared to today? Uh, it, yeah. And in, in the year 2019, it, it feels like it's further away than I would have expected. Like the, the part that kind of like helped all Georgia fans like deal with deal with second and 26 was like, Hey, like our quarterback was a true freshman and like we gave him everything we had and he still almost won that game. You know, w- imagine what it's going to be like two years from now and yeah. it's worse. Uh, it, it's, <laughs> He's throwing it's three picks like a little bit worse, South but Carolina. yeah, it's, it's just not nearly the, the steps forward that you would have thought logically would have followed after a year like 2017 and after the, the recruiting classes that Georgia has brought in uh, since 2017, uh, Jake Fromm's uh, recruiting class specifically, mm-hmm. and every every class from there has been top three, I want to say, and including the number one one in, in 2018. And, you know, seeing seeing this and then seeing the way that like Justin Fields is absolutely crushing it at, at Ohio State and again like the way that LSU has flipped the switch on offense it feels like Georgia is f- kind of far off from from being in that super elite tier I really do feel like mm-hmm. it is Bama Clemson LSU Ohio State uh, Wisconsin Wisconsin, yeah. Wisconsin and Penn State are, are you know kind of like those cl- in Oklahoma I'm sorry right. I always forget about Oklahoma because they the rest of their conferences and all that impressive right. but yeah it feels like Georgia <clears throat> even going into last week's game even if they were able to win that game I would still consider them behind those teams at least for this season I would say yeah, yeah. I mean in the grand scheme of things you know I, I think they're always going to kind of be in that upper tier with Alabama, LSU, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma, and then Georgia, I think is that sixth team. You know, a team like Wisconsin and Penn State are probably still at least a tier below and Wisconsin maybe even two tiers when you talk about the kind of talent that they're putting on the field. Um you but know even had, Penn State Wisconsin has great years though. I mean th- oh, this course, year course, feels but, feels better than twenty seventeen. Right. Twenty seventeen was amazing. Well it seems like Wisconsin doesn't get the benefit of the doubt necessarily that a lot of these other schools do, which is I, I think in large part based on recruiting. Yeah, I mean where did Wisconsin start this year? Like eighteen, twenty, something like that. Yeah, you know, like yeah. It's just hard to project like, you know, if they if they're replacing a quarterback like they are, you know, this year, you know, we didn't see a ton of Jack Cohn last season, they're not gonna get the benefit of the doubt because Jack Cohn wasn't the number two quarterback in the country. It's very you know? good point. So, so you know, they kind of have to prove it on the field, whereas I, I do feel like some of these other schools have to prove that they don't belong in that tier, whereas Wisconsin has to prove that it does. So, you know, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, there are much worse spots to be. But uh, nevertheless, I, I understand your disappointment um, in, in what transpired on Saturday. Elsewhere around the country uh, on Friday, Oregon just ran over Colorado. Uh, we'll kind of talk about some of the potential dark horse teams that could maybe crash uh, the discussion to get into the playoff I, I think Oregon you know that lost to, to Auburn aside, I think so too they've they've looked pretty invaluable uh, other than week one and and really you know beat Auburn for three and a half quarters in that game uh, Colorado when it looked like maybe they had I won't even say turn a corner but maybe it looked like they would be uh, a team to, to be somewhat reckoned with in the Pac-12 when they beat Nebraska you know close to a month ago now but turns out Nebraska's not good at all and it turns out Colorado maybe is not good at all either yeah the, this it's sort of like it was a mirage, like beating beating Nebraska when Nebraska still had a bit of, of buzz around it. It felt like, you know, may, maybe things are, are better at Colorado than we thought. But I think Mike McIntyre left kind of a crap situation for Mel Tucker. So this is this is quickly like turning into like a classic year one. You got to check your expectations at the door. If you get a bowl win or if you get to a bowl game, then consider mm-hmm. this, this season a win, but don't necessarily bank on it. So that that's kind of how I'm feeling about Colorado. Although they were in an impossible spot last weekend, Friday night, Austin Stadium, hot Oregon team 
uh, with, with the, you know, a week to go before their Washington game. It was a rough spot, but at the same time, yeah, Colorado mm-hmm. it did get pantsed. Well, I think Mel Tucker too it's like at some point you got to stop riding the wave from being the Jags interim coach in 2011 you know I think he's still kind of coasting on that and you know at some point the, the luck was going to run out just the Luke, the Luke Fickle of the of the Rocky Mountains <laughs> uh exactly so Miami uh I wouldn't say maybe the most impressive win over Virginia uh, at home on Friday night uh they win that one 17 to 9 but you know nonetheless Virginia was a one-loss team coming in they were ranked uh, Miami dispatches them. Not a ton of takeaways from that game for me. I, I don't know how closely you watched that it, one. It just um, it takes away or, or it knocks Virginia down a little bit to where them and I think Duke are like in a very crucial matchup for the Coastal Division mm-hmm. this weekend. I'm actually kind of excited about that one. So yeah, that's the state of the ACC right now. Uh, <laughs> Alabama rolls over Texas A&M. Tua threw his first pick, you know, less than a week after me declaring that he could maybe go like fifty, you know, in terms of <laughs> touchdowns and interceptions. Uh, he promptly uh, took that one off the table. But <clears throat> we're starting to see, you know, I mean, th- this is still an Alabama defense and not a defense I would ever want to bet against. But you know, twenty-eight points to a, a good Texas A&M team, but you know, a, a, a team that they probably don't allow four touchdowns to in the past. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it, it does feel more and more, and, and a lot of this is just LSU looking so good, but it does feel more and more like the momentum is building and, and people almost want LSU to, to, or want to believe, I guess, that LSU is going to knock off Bama. And they're certainly capable of it, but part of it to me seems like as great as Alabama's offense has looked, like the defense hasn't been quite at the level of what we've seen pretty much every year since, I don't know, 2009. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, this defense, I think it, by the attrition through the draft plus the in-season attrition with the injuries yeah it just it simply does not look as good this year that as it has in years past and like you said that combined with LSU looking like a completely different beast than it ever has really Mm -hmm. at least during like the the Saban Alabama era uh yeah this is this is really trending towards that be that game being finally like kind of living up to the hype because every year it no matter what it it is the most like hyped regular season game that there is pretty much Mm -hmm. and then LSU is unable to score they get completely suffocated by that Bama defense I don't think that's going to be the case this time and I think you're bringing Mm -hmm. up a good point that maybe there are a couple of cracks in that in that Alabama fan foundation as far as the defense goes Mm -hmm. but their offense is absolutely filthy too so I mean they are going to be absolutely be able to keep pace and I think maybe some something that people are forgetting about a little bit LSU's defense also maybe takes right. a step back this year so i mean what is the over under going to be for that game I, I mean this is traditionally a game that you would not be surprised you know usually alabama's had the upper hand you know something like 24 to 7 or but you know the joke is always like this could be a 9 to 3 type of game i mean what would what would the over under even be set at I, i'm thinking like 49 and a half 51 and a half somewhere in somewhere in I, that I think range. over 50 I mean, LSU has been able to put up 42 points on anybody, and true. You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't bank on them necessarily getting there against Alabama. But I think both teams could pretty easily get into the the high 20s, low 30s, if not more. I I do I think so as well. Um, but I I also feel like maybe there, there's a chance that you know that there's mm-hmm. a there's a line of thinking in Vegas that the defenses maybe step up a little yeah. bit, I, or just like the sheer difference in like a you know 49 and a half point over under compared to what it's been in years past where it's probably been 38 and a half yeah. or something like that is, is just so different they just like can't convince themselves to yeah. to put a, a, like a number higher than 50 mm-hmm. it, it for this game final note from from Bama A&M Chris Middleton and Giannis Antetokounmpo among other Milwaukee Bucks were at the game love it for some reason Giannis was going nuts waving the the towel appeared to be rooting for A&M which is where Middleton of course went to college uh has has Contavious Coldwell Pope ever shown up to a Georgia game 
you know, the thing is, like, even if he has, Georgia is so not about its basketball team that they probably wouldn't even like bring it up or have any sort of reference to it other than maybe like in the stadium they'd be like oh famous fans but but yeah there wouldn't be any <laughs> sort like, of like this guy? fanfare about it it's like who, who? yeah well yeah. who else who else is from georgia in the nba you have nick claxton a rookie this year uh, is that it i'm pretty sure i mean jarvis hayes has been a while yeah who i mean <laughs> uh Sundiata Gaines uh, oh, had, sure. had a moment, but that was you know probably seven eight years ago already. Um, but I guess Anthony Edwards after this year is, is a virtual lock. Let's go. Um, Clemson rolls over Florida State. Uh, to me, this just says more about Florida State I think than anything else. That game um, was like it was like over at halftime. Yeah, twenty eight nothing Clemson at the half. I mean, I wouldn't say not. This wasn't Clemson's first impressive victory of the year, and Florida State is certainly not a po- not the opponent that that the name value would imply, but. You know, nice to see Trevor Lawrence put it together. Four touchdowns. You know, one it, 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 all all of Clemson's wins so far, I guess, with the exception of Week One uh, against Georgia Tech, have felt a, a little bit kind of kind of yeah, tinted. But this, this one did feel like dominant Clemson. It really did. And uh, you know, we we didn't even have T Higgins for the full game. I think mm-hmm. he had like a slight hamstring tweak. But yeah, like you're saying, Lawrence four touchdowns on on like twenty something attempts. Uh, the yardage wasn't quite where you'd expect it to be for that many attempts, but I mean, it was still uh, a solid enough all-around performance that, like, if you if you did buy in on on DFS a little bit for for Clemson, it probably paid off. Okay, we, especially if you had like a, a Lawrence and Justin Ross stack. We'll get into more of that later, but yeah, I think I think Clemson like it's starting to right the ship. I, I think that that was the beginning of of the run that we start to see Clemson on, where they start to live up to that preseason mm-hmm. expectation. So we, we hinted at Florida LSU. This was forty two twenty eight in favor of LSU. Um, you know, I, I don't I don't think anyone came away thinking that Florida was was overmatched by mm-hmm. any means. And you know, you you still have the conversation that they don't have Felipe Franks, but Kyle Trask again looked pretty good in this game. Twenty three of thirty nine, three hundred ten yards, three touchdowns. Did throw a pick, but I mean, Joe Burrow just continues to roll through everybody. The the efficiency twenty one of twenty four. I mean, kind of a low number of attempts, but. 21 completions, almost had as many yards on 15 fewer attempts uh, than Kyle Trask. 293, three touchdowns, no picks. QBR just under 100. Um, you know, added 43 rushing yards. I, I, we we, we kind of just spoke about LSU and talking with uh, about Alabama, but the gap is closing, and um, you know, I cannot wait for that game in two weeks. Yeah, that God, the offense is just impeccable i think the defense can reach another level i know that i was kind of saying that they haven't played up to their best to this point and i think that that was definitely true on saturday night maybe the the mixing of quarterbacks between trask and emory jones a little bit threw them off uh, that was some classic dan mullening there but that was kind of interesting but also kind of annoying uh i thought on the florida side that tight end kyle pitts looked awesome like he he was kind of eaten the entire night i think that he he maybe shows a flaw down the seam in that lsu defense a mm-hmm. little bit which you wouldn't expect to say because i mean everyone says only good things about grant delpit and they probably should only say good yep. things about grant delpit but he didn't play his best game and again like the seam was open and mm-hmm. available for that florida passing attack so that that will be something to see if uh, alabama has someone that can kind of exploit that in a few weeks I feel like we haven't heard enough about Delpit. Like all the talk coming into the season was about how great he. It kind of reminds me of Greedy Williams mm-hmm. last year, where the season began and all of a sudden you just didn't hear about him again until until the draft. And we've had a lot of defensive backs that have been like that. Um, Tease Tabor, I feel like was like that too. Oh, Everybody man. loved him before the season, and you know, I mean, I think he was probably even a more extreme example. Did not have the greatest year, and, and obviously is 
he's already burned out of the NFL, isn't he? He ran like a four seven or something. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, Delpit's, like, I, I didn't say anything. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, I, I think Delpit, Delpit's stock is still there, but um, I think a lot. Of, I mean, obviously, it's just tough for defensive backs to impact the game as much as as skill position players on the offensive end. You know, yeah. if you're not if you're not lighting guys up or getting two two or three picks in a in a big primetime game, you know, you're just it's just tougher, I guess, to to show up on the national stage. But it does feel like he's been. I don't know if overlooks the right word. Just, just been quieter, I guess, than the preseason hype would imply. Yeah, he really has, and I haven't watched enough LSU closely on the def- when when they don't have the ball to really like right. point point to much as far as what he's done to this point. So yeah, like like you said at the at the very le- or like the most you can say about him is that the, the things have cooled off a little mm-hmm. bit. Oklahoma, Texas. This was thirty four twenty seven in favor of Oklahoma. Um, Didn't never really feel that close. No, yeah. I was just going to say that. It never felt like Oklahoma was out of control in this game by any means. Uh, Jalen Hurts did throw a pick, but other than that, was really, really good. I, I, you got to wonder if those previous Iron Bowls had maybe prepared him for this. 235 yards through the air and three touchdowns, 131 yards on the ground on 17 carries, had a couple of long ones, had a touchdown on the ground as well. Uh, Sam Ellinger looked good, didn't throw any picks, completed 26 passes, got up over 200 yards, but the, the big plays, it just, it just felt like, you know, weren't there for most of the day for Texas, whereas CeeDee Lamb, oh. rapidly climbing my <laughs> personal, like, favorite college football receivers of all time list. He is insane. What I was mean, the stat you sent me yesterday about his... Okay, so he has 39 targets this year, uh, 10... Uh, touchdowns so a touchdown on on like 25 percent of his targets right. not not just his <clears throat> catches and i think he has like 610 yards on those 30 so like he's averaging like almost 20 yards per target right. it is just those are those are the type of numbers that like you didn't even see from jerry judy last year right no i mean these aren't like deshaun jackson just you know over the top of the defense type of long touchdowns i mean it's like catching the ball eight yards downfield freezing seven defenders and then you know doing the rest yourself he's so he's so springy he's got those long arms uh I was talking to Mario the other day and he's like he kind of looks like a better Brandon Lloyd almost and it's like (laughs) hmm I can I I might be able to talk myself into this Mm -hmm. one but yeah he is he's something else and they showed a transformation of him I I I think I might have caught this on Twitter it might have been on on the broadcast but um, he's really been like hitting the weights. Like he he was kind of spindly, um, not not completely dissimilar from Marquise Brown, but I mean he's obviously a lot bigger frame to work with. Yep. But um, just not as big as maybe you would like for a guy that that's his height. Yep. And he is f- crazy shredded now. Like he yeah. So he's he's put on a lot of strength, and it's actually added on to his long yep. speed overall. So he's gotten up over twenty three miles an hour apparently in in like workouts and practice and on the field. <laughs> so. So he's only getting better, and that should that should scare everybody. Yeah, well, and the Jags just got another first round pick yesterday, so now they can get Jerry Judy, you know, with their pick, and then CD Lamb with the Rams pick. There it is. So okay, the plan is in place. Uh, another big statement win for Wisconsin on Saturday afternoon. Oklahoma Texas was the big early game. This is the one that I watched at least uh, in the in the afternoon window. I I'm inherently pessimistic about any team that I root for, whether it's Wisconsin, the Jaguars bucks you know when i was a tony stewart fan with nascar that type of thing um so i mean i i wouldn't this this is when i felt better about i guess than the michigan game or like certainly than any of the ohio state games that we've had over the years um just because I, I just didn't think this michigan state team was that good but right. to win in this fashion um you know I, I think this was arguably 
Wisconsin's most dominant win of the year, mm-hmm. you know, adjusting for opponent, you know, because they did let their foot off the gas a little bit in the second half against Michigan. Um, and some of the, the end of game stats weren't all that impressive, but Wisconsin has allowed 13 third down conversions on the entire year through six games. They're on pace to be like the first or second best defense in the history of college football. I, I don't, don't know that that'll continue once the schedule heats up, but I mean, this is a, a defense that is just absolutely unbelievable this was a day where jonathan taylor you know really didn't have it going had two touchdowns but 26 for 80 you know if you would have told me on saturday morning that that jonathan taylor wasn't going to break 80 yards and was going to carry the ball more than 20 times i'd be very nervous to hear what the final score would be um and we've gone through this before you know uh at the quarterback position alex hornerbrook has had games where he looks really really good joel stave scott tolzien obviously russell wilson um but the consistency with the exception i guess of the northwestern game that Jack Cohen has shown 18 of 21 in this game, only 180 yards, which almost is probably like what you Hornerbrook want. game from a few years ago. I know, exactly. That's a, <laughs> it's almost a little too much like Hornerbrook, which, which does concern me. Um, but this was, this was another, I think, another statement win. And I think the talk started after the Michigan game about Wisconsin, you know, kind of joining that top tier that we referenced earlier. And, and it's only heating up now. I mean, I, you, you start to look at some of the you know, the non-AP rankings, the the personal rankings of analysts. And I've, I've seen Wisconsin as high as two or three. Still not quite ready to put them ahead of Ohio State or Oklahoma or, or certainly LSU or Bama uh, or even Clemson. But they, they certainly belong at least, I think, in the bottom half of that tier. And I'm glad that I, I feel like it might have been a couple years ago when Wisconsin went 12-0 and 0 and it felt like they didn't get a chance to like prove their hype in season. Yep. They, they got like a I week. I think they had the Iowa game was the big one. Yes, they had like a weakened Michigan team uh, in November come to town and just get put to the altar yep. by Wisconsin. Um, but this time, like you get a chance to shut everybody up. And I think that's what's so exciting yes. is getting to play Ohio State in Columbus. That game, so that that's not this Saturday, but next Saturday, yep. I am... So excited for that. I'm, I'm kind of dreading like the entire staff trying to ask off to... 11 a.m. <laughs> kick, baby. Oh, okay. Big Noon Saturday. Yeah, big Noon Saturday. I okay. love that. All right. So uh, that's oh, it's too bad that I won't be able to watch the whole thing, at least live. But that... Oh, my God. That game is going to be so good. I think it's going to live up to the hype big time. I think so, too. And that's a good point that you made, that they, they have... I feel like Wisconsin has just enough opportunity. I'm looking at the, the 2017 team that you were talking about um they did start 12 and 0 they end up losing of course to ohio state in a, a fairly close big 10 title game but you know one that ohio state really did control but their best win was michigan that was a home game that was a depleted michigan team other than that the next best win uh was against iowa and that was a game that they dominated and, and not a great iowa team played no ranked teams prior to that you know, right. this was before nebraska had really kind of had its mini what now appears to be fake renaissance um but i I think the schedule works out perfectly this year where you know you you avoid penn state which is nice but you know you you play michigan at a time when they were clearly vulnerable and what you know that game maybe won't look as strong of a win in three or four weeks as it did at the time Uh, and you could probably say the same thing about michigan state but I think the schedule is just tough enough that they're going to be able to prove themselves. Yeah, no um, one can and, knock that but schedule not too at tough. all. Right, right. But You're it's drawing... not it's not the A and M schedule either. You know, I would be very yeah. concerned if we had to play, you know, Ohio State and Penn State, you know, in a matter of three weeks or something over the over the end here. I'm, I'm not too concerned about Minnesota. I'm obviously not concerned this weekend about Illinois. Um, I, I think it's the it's kind of the ideal schedule where you know you still have to beat somebody at some point you know it's, it's, i'm not i'm not sitting here like man i really wish we didn't have ohio state on the schedule like, yeah exactly i guess that'd be nice but at some point you're gonna have to get tested and you know why why not have it be in in late october as opposed to waiting all the way to to suffer that that crushing loss in the big 10 title game yeah when the end zone gets unzipped for whatever reason <laughs> remember that 
And the, and like the oh, field at Lucas right. Oil, yeah. yeah. And we were, yeah. we were out watching it, I think. Yep, and the, chasers. Yep. There was just like a 15 minute delay so they could zip the field back together. <laughs> uh, yeah, so as long as you don't have to wait for that, at least yep. the, yeah, Columbus, they got their field together. So, yep. uh, God, yeah, I cannot wait for that game. Next weekend slate, I don't even want to talk about it because we'll, we'll end up going down like a super long rabbit hole. But I, I'm looking forward to this podcast next week to preview week nine. Um, but real quickly through the rest of, uh, of this past week, Notre Dame beat USC 30 to 27. USC just continues to be a yo-yo every single week. I, I really don't know what to expect. They're playing everybody closely. Yeah, that was a better game from them than I I definitely expected. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the other thing about Georgia losing is like, how does this adjust what we think about Notre Dame? It doesn't really change that much Nothing. for me. I think that like that that game against Georgia for, for Notre Dame, like the fact that they didn't win it maybe looks a little bit worse, but I, I wouldn't say it's like a bad loss. But I also think just like in general, we have what the like the committee has had a hard time setting precedents, hard precedents, at least one way or the other. I think that in general, Notre Dame has to go perfect in order to make the playoff. I don't think that the committee will ever allow Notre Dame to be a one loss that that gets in or I have a very hard time seeing that because the the griping from people that that talk about they, how they don't play in a conference championship game I think that's enough to where if Notre Dame loses one game they're out anyway so I don't really see the big deal one way or the other yeah I mean I mostly agree with that I, I think they they're in a position where they just need a lot of help I guess the rest of the way you know they they kind of don't control their own destiny not <clears throat> excuse me not having that conference title game to kind of you know rack up another big win at the end of the year like they need a team that's already eliminated basically to beat a team from the sec that needs that other win. You know what I'm saying? So like it's, they're in a tough spot obviously. And and I think Georgia losing and, you know, potentially losing another game the rest of the way doesn't help them. Sure. Um, But I, 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 this has almost more to me about USC, I guess. Like I just, I'm, I'm somehow impressed by them, even though they continue to kind of lose games on and off. Um, You know, they're bouncing between quarterbacks. Their AD is quitting early in the season um no one really knows what's going on with the the long-term future of the coach they're they're zero and three on the road um and yet i still feel like kind of okay about how the season has gone for them yeah given all those roadblocks that, that have come up across you know <laughs> it's I mean, not like a complete disaster like it doesn't feel like a usc tire fire season even though the record maybe implies in, it should. and everything that happened you know could also like could have excused that or, or would have mm-hmm. uh made you expect that this would have gone way worse than, than it actually has so yeah i mean that they, they they've got some moxie they've got way more chutzpah um than i than i certainly would have expected good for that <laughs> chutzpah. um penn state ugly win over iowa uh, no more than seven points combined scored in any quarter i did not game. i did not mo- watch much of that because no, it was God it was no. running the same time as lsu florida and i don't regret it like yeah. I, i'm glad that penn state won because i want to see more like undefeated teams and like just see how deep this pool can go for yeah. how long it can but yeah i didn't want to i didn't want right. to subject myself to that right i mean as somebody who loved you know an Evan royster fan you want you always want to see penn state win sure. but this is kind of Iowa's brand now is just getting involved in these games like this. They've lost their last two games, 10 to three and 17 to 12. Um, you know, and they, I expect that they'll have a few more of these the rest of the way. Ooh, I do have a question for you. I feel like you would be an excellent person to ask about this. Is Iowa the type of school that should have those type of alternates? Like no. the highlighter? No. It, it, it completely flies in the face of iowa football i feel like it they should like they should Robert somehow gallery was sick to his stomach when they, he saw those they should somehow find a way to have like their alternate be like all white but just like with with no stripes on the sleeves like no like no yeah. nothing just a, like plain clothing basically 
There's like a white T. Yeah. yeah, I mean, this is... <laughs> Sharpie drawn on numbers, because that just didn't look like... I was not watching Iowa no. Saturday night when I, when I glimpsed at that. If you're going to wear something like that, you have to win the game. Uh, so uh, on one hand, credit to them for doing it for a big game. On the other hand, I would have saved it for Rutgers or Illinois, just kind of guarantee the win, you know, and then you can kind of make a bigger deal about it. But like, I'm sure they had like a whole social media plan laid out, you know, had they won the game and, you know, promoting the uniforms. Now it's like, do you wear them again? After that? Cursed unis. I mean, I think I know the answer to this, but I'll ask it anyway. What's like more antithetical to the brand slash a worse look? Those one one color highlighter Iowa uniforms or Michigan State going with the the neon pants earlier (laughs) this season? Uh, I think those are Michigan states are worse. I mean, they make Iowa, no sense. Iowa's are, are at least their own colors. Like yeah. maybe it's a, maybe it's like a brighter shade of yellow, but it's essentially the black and yellow and it's more yellow than black. So that's maybe what's so jarring about it. And it doesn't look like the Steelers uniform. Michigan state has never once pulled out this lime green before. It's not in their color palette. Like at least Iowa stuck to their official colors. Like this just feels like a blatant ripoff of what Oregon did, but then Oregon at least made it kind of their primary color. Like Michigan state doesn't use this in any other you know, on anything else, do they? Like, these just came out of nowhere. No one was asking for I, this. No, no one was asking for that. I don't. I think their basketball team d- does some crazy uniforms sometimes, but it d- it didn't translate. It, like the Michigan State football right. field, it's all like shaggy and everything. Yes. It just it's like, such a dull shade of green. It doesn't. Too, that they it use. doesn't make sense. It just yeah, they have worn sense. similar uniforms for basketball. You are correct. Um, I feel like you can get away with that though in basketball because like sure. teams teams are doing that they all play the time. So many games, right? And they've you know, recently they've tried to you know do new uniforms for like conference tournaments and stuff like that just to kind of generate interest i'm assuming that's what michigan state was going for here but this these are not the type of jerseys that like you would want to buy as a fan they would not look good as a replica jersey god they no. look they look fine i guess you know when they're per- perfectly fitted on a six foot three 220 pound <laughs> athlete but it's not going to look good on like a 45 year old alum um and it's got a mustard stain on it yeah i just don't know what they're going for like i was it, it, i was the same way you know like these are not programs it just feels like it's it's out of their reach, you know. Like, did, did D'Antonio really like sign off on this? Like, was he leading the charge? Like, I can't imagine he had anything to do with these. Oh, yeah, I, I can't imagine that either. Like, so yeah, they they probably had like a brand team come into his office and say a bunch of jargon that he didn't understand. He's like, all right, right. But the players like it, okay, right? Yeah, this would be like like Bill Belichick personally designing some like <laughs> shimmering silver Patriots uniforms, something like that. <laughs> now I'm um, thinking about that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, we, I don't even want to talk do Michigan, get, Illinois. Do we get some more sparkles on there. <laughs> Yeah, the, the guys really seem to like them. <laughs> um, I know you want to talk about Louisville quick. They scored like 150 points, I think. They So they were already starting their backup quarterback who's started a few games, uh, but he got knocked out and they brought in a freshman and he helped ring up 61 points on a ranked Wake Forest team. So 62 sh- points. So yeah, shout out to Louisville. Like I, I thought that Louisville, like what Bobby Petrino left for that program was just like worthy of him like being jailed for. Like, the, like they were just so so pathetic last year like you know even even florida state had to laugh at them like with, with how bad louisville looked last year so the fact that scott's outerfield has come in there and at least in, in, instilled like a, a level of effort um plus a little getting a little mm-hmm. bit of talent a little bit of production out of it on top of it like louisville is at least at or at the very least now they are feisty like you you probably don't want to yeah. play them uh necessarily at least compared to some of the other yep. uh lackeys in the acc yeah. so Good for Louisville for kind of getting up off the mat in year one in a year that, as as Bill Connolly would say, would have been a hard year zero, like in terms of just like <laughs> demolish any expectations yep. of anything good happening. Yeah, a little little uh, feisty, a little frisky, I think. Um, 
combined 45 points in the fourth quarter of I am this game. Sad. I am sad for Wake, though, because uh, Wake had kind of been like the this little underdog team that had gotten ranked this year and had been really good. And then uh, this guy, Sage Surratt, I don't know if, you, if you've paid attention to him at all. 12 catches for 196 and three Sheesh. touchdowns last weekend against yeah, Louisville. Yeah, Crabtree-esque line. Yeah, he's, he's a beast, and his brother plays... Uh, linebacker for UNC used to be the quarterback Chaz Surratt. So the Chaz Surratt, the the, the brother Surratt. I, I need to send you the picture of Sage uh, before the game last weekend wearing a hoodie, but it was actually just a hood uh, with with no actual like clothing underneath it. So it was, is that, it was is that a, like legal to wear? I don't or even what? I don't even know, but it was it was pretty cool, and I think you can pull it off when you're like you know yeah, a six three athlete like like Sage Surratt. Are these guys twins? Uh, I'm not sure if they're twins, but uh, they they are brothers. I know that okay, much. They definitely appear to be brothers. That's for sure. Uh, all right, let's look ahead to week eight. Uh, we can we can focus on DFS mostly. I, this is a bit of a down week, you know, after an, an awesome week seven and a possibly even better week nine to look ahead to. Uh, we do get Ohio State Northwestern on a Friday night for some reason. Uh, a little, little bit of a saucy move by the Big Ten. I don't I don't really like this. Um, and I also read this morning that they're they're going to get bumped and like no one is sure what's going to happen with this game. I think it's going to be on Big Ten Network now. It was supposed what? to be a Fox featured game, but I believe the World Series is going to be on Fox or FS1 and wrestling is going to be on one of the other. Basically, the World Series and wrestling are taking precedent. They get the Fox channels. So I believe this game is going to be moved to the Big Ten Network. Oh, that's awesome. Which, as far as I'm aware, completely defeats the purpose of having it on Friday night in the first place. Also, yes. 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 So you, you have that one pegged completely. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's, I mean, that's arguably like the third or fourth best game of the weekend. Oklahoma should absolutely stomp West Virginia. Wisconsin, Illinois, you know, is basically a, an FCS team at this point. Florida, uh, only a five-point favorite at South Carolina. You're getting a little bit of respect, I guess. It's probably giving too much credit to, to South Carolina. That's kind of what I thought, too. But, you know, I guess, you know, Florida coming off of a fairly big loss, at least on the scoreboard. South Carolina coming off a big win. We do get Oregon-Washington, two ranked teams in the Pac-12. That should be fun. Uh, and 20th-ranked Minnesota, back in the rankings for the first time in forever. I, Glenn Mason days, I would imagine. Yeah, and I think we're still on board that they should be 11-0 and and unranked. <laughs> I agree. I they could they could run the table and win the Big Ten uh, win the Big Ten championship game. I still wouldn't want them ranked. Nope. Uh, we also get Michigan Penn State. I, I think that's probably the consensus best game of the weekend. Yeah, yeah, it is. And it's funny that like these two teams have traded like just biblical beatdowns between the between the two of them over the yep. last couple of years. Like Michigan uh, just absolutely took Penn State to the woodshed last year, and I think the year before Michigan went to Penn State, uh, and it was a whiteout scenario like this one is going to be, and, yep. and Penn State just took them to the cleaners so i i think that this one there won't be a returning of the favor this time around i, I expect this game to actually be good on mm-hmm. both sides um so i'm really really excited for this one the, the nine point spread i think might be a little bit too much on the penn I state so too. side i mean like, penn state is you know, obviously they're undefeated and they've looked good but they, they have not looked like a a dominant team to me by any means yeah especially you know the, these last couple of weeks here um so right. so uh they are at home. The, the whiteout is like a, a pretty electric atmosphere. And I, I do agree with mm-hmm. you that this will be the best game of the weekend. But yeah, I, th- I think Michigan uh, should be able to cover that nine and, and make it slightly more competitive than that two, two score uh, implied line. Yeah, I agree. Um, Penn State wins this game. Are they, are, are they kind of joining the, the bottom of that top six tier that we talked about? Did they become the seventh team? Um, it, it, you know, I think we need to see someone else lose uh, because we've seen. Uh, Wisconsin already beat Michigan too so like that that win like it shouldn't vault Penn State necessarily 
over Wisconsin no. or any or anything like that. So I imagine that things will stand firm at seven. It just makes Penn State like it gives them uh, a higher ceiling to jump up if anyone in front of them falls. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, I think that would maybe attach them to the bottom of that tier rather than like as of now, even though they are undefeated and all the teams below them have at least one loss with the exception of Boise State. I still consider Penn State closer to Notre Dame, Florida, you know, now Georgia, Auburn, Oregon, even Utah than that's I would fair. that top six. Okay. That, well, we'll see how this goes. Saying. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's look at DraftKings. We'll start at the quarterback position as always. And, uh, you know, I referenced, referenced that Oklahoma-West Virginia game. Oklahoma is expected to just roll over West Virginia. This should be kind of a, a nice cruise game after, after a test against Texas this past week. And unsurprisingly, Jalen Hurts is the top QB on the board for the main slate on Saturday. He's at 9,000. You get Joe Burrow at 8,500, Brock Purdy, 8,100. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'll ask you as I normally do. Is it worth paying up for Jalen Hurts at this price? This week, I'm I'm a little bit hesitant. I think coming off such a big game, and especially with, with all that he did on the ground last week, I think that that kind of almost gives you a game plan for what to expect from this Oklahoma offense in the sense that Hertz is going to take it on himself if it's if it's a close competitive game against a good team, and I think when the, when Oklahoma plays bad teams, um, and, and I know the West Virginia should qualify for this, and I know Kansas did the week before. Maybe they're a little bit more likely to just hand it off to to your Trey Sermons and your your Kennedy Brookses and so on. So I don't expect the same amount of rushing production that we've seen out of Hertz um, against like a Texas. Um, so I have a little bit of a hard time paying up for. I mean, the nine K isn't necessarily cost prohibitive, mm-hmm. but like I'm not I'm not gonna go out there and be like, okay, I'm, I have Hertz in every single one of my lineups. Try 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 to make you know. I'm going to try to diversify a little bit here. So I like Hertz. I'm not uh, like advocating against him or anything like that. Again, it's just more of one of those. I'm not going to have hundred percent exposure and same with Burrow. And like both of these guys are coming off those big wins. Um, So, you know, I just think that there's a chance that both of them look a little bit sluggish compared to recent expectations with both of them. Although I do understand that both of them are pushing for Heisman candidacies, especially at at this stage of the season. But I, I think I might, end up going a little bit cheaper at quarterback or certainly uh not necessarily stacking my lineup hurts and burrow uh 100% of the way through although I'll, I'll definitely make one of those so if you look beyond Brock Purdy like I said he's at 8100 um you know you kind of get into guys in that I don't know 7000 to to 8000 type of range is, is that where you're looking at the quarterback spot yeah i think that that's where i'll i'll be getting most of my quarterbacks here i, I like charlie brewer um out of baylor 7900 uh going up against oklahoma state they allow or they rank 108th in points allowed to opposing quarterbacks um they've uh quarterbacks have have a 13 to 1 touchdown and interception ratio against the pokes so that that sets up really well for for brewer and i think that also when you when you think about Baylor and Brewer um the the receiving core is also pretty affordable for him so so being able to stack that game um against Oklahoma State I think sets up pretty well so I would consider Brewer a lot at 7900 one of my favorite plays at quarterback for this week I think Spencer Sanders at 7400 might be a fade for me um it's not just a fade because he he went for five turnovers the last time out although that that was bad and probably a reason why he'll have a relatively low ownership um, but the rushing production has been inconsistent. He only has rushing scores in two of his six games uh, thus far. And like Baylor sneakily, 
the number 23 ranked defense according to the S&P plus numbers so uh it's not going to be an easy time out for him so it's another great Baylor defense <laughs> classic <laughs> we're, we're watching in the studio right now uh Baylor Texas Tech from freshman Mahomes 2014 yeah I, what, what does the final in this game end up being um I think it's it, currently 48 to 40 with two minutes and 21 seconds yeah, left maybe like 51 48 Baylor I know Baylor ended up winning this one but yeah. Mahomes, Mahomes like kind of put everyone yeah on notice in that one so uh yeah very different now that, than it used to be matt rule has kind of brought temple to waco mm. it's kind of wild um tell me about oh, trevor lawrence 7300 uh threw another pick last week but you know three three touchdowns through the air just 170 yards um but did rush for 40 yards rush for a touchdown that's been a little bit more a part of his game this year he's got 17 rushing attempts and over you know up, up close to 90 yards uh, over the last two weeks alone against North Carolina and Florida State. Yes, so the, so I like him a fair bit. I, I still think that seventy three hundred is definitely reasonable for Lawrence. I don't think that you're get you're like paying too much necessarily for him. Um, I do worry that that we run into a blowout situation here going up against Louisville, kind of the way that we saw um, last week. Louisville, though, I mean, I think that there's a chance that Lawrence puts up a lot of numbers on his way to, uh, you know, getting pulled from this game in the third quarter or early fourth quarter. Louisville gives up over or right at two and a half passing touchdowns per game. I believe that's the highest uh, mark. Uh, on average on this slate uh if t higgins is is right then that just adds another weapon back um i I think that we saw the positive regression with with justin ross last week so i'm buying in on on this clemson offense putting up you know well over 40 points this week and obviously if that happens you figure lawrence is going to be able to hit value for you especially at 7300 who are some of the bargain guys this week um, I like Kelly Bryant. I would like him more if he had been if he's been running more, but he just kind of really hasn't. That hasn't been a big part of his game this year. I think maybe Missouri is trying to, uh, you know, keep him more as a passer and use its its deep uh, core of running backs. So uh, I'll get into some Missouri running backs in a little bit, but. Vanderbilt's really bad, and he, and Brian's coming off his first 300-yard passing game against an SEC opponent, um, I, and I thought. Mississippi kind of had like a respectable passing defense so that it's not nothing that he was able to throw for 300 against them. Um, again, you worry that uh, the lack of rushing production there could kind of like cap his his ceiling a little bit, but 6,900 is not, not a bad price. It's just, it's something that jumps out to you at first and then you look a little bit more closely and maybe you get a little bit less excited about. Um, Bo Nix at 6,800 against Arkansas, kind of a similar thing. Um, you would kind of hope that maybe he's able to run the ball a little bit more because they have uh, Booby Whitlow is going to be out for this week and and I think through the end of the month at the very least. And Nick's only 6,800. I think a lot of people will have the bad taste in their mouth uh, from what they saw against Florida the other week with all the interceptions. 6,800 against Arkansas. Arkansas, also bad. Um, Arkansas, Vanderbilt, Spider-Man memeing at each other. So <laughs> so I, I think that we, we could see Nick's kind of put up decent production here, and yep. he, he does run a little bit. So yeah. something to consider. Uh, Bailey Hockman, 6,300 at Boston College. Um, I've, I've run into a lot of scenarios here w- with these quarterbacks where I like the quarterback, but I like the running back even more. Um, so Hockman kind of fits that bill. He's an okay player, made his first start against Syracuse last week but i think nc state's defense more so won that game but bc has a defense that you can pick on for once which it which is interesting so think about some nc state guys i'm on the other side of that one uh anthony brown is going to be out for the season for boston college so dennis grossell is going to be starting for boston college at quarterback nc state has a pretty good defense though so i'll probably be avoiding that it might 
raise the floor for like an AJ Dillon, although he couldn't score against Wake Forest the other week, and that's, that's two straight great. games without a touchdown. Yeah, I don't. Is, is really it time to go that. to JV and Dane? I don't know. People are asking. I, mostly us, but um, <laughs> specifically I, me. <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, come on, man. Uh, I don't know what you're doing there. And then Evan Conley, uh, 5900. He was the the freshman uh, Louisville guy. Um, I just think that Clemson's probably going to eat him alive. But uh, I just wanted to give him a shout out for for doing so well against mm-hmm. Wake Forest. All right, well, let's look to the running backs. You mentioned A.J. Dillon. Uh, the yardage has continued to be there week in and week out. I mean, there, there are a few backs uh, in college football who were relied upon in the way that he is. I mean, he's been up over 22 carries in all but one game this year. That was week two against Richmond when, you know, he yeah. rushed, you know, basically put it away in the first half and mm-hmm. barely played in the second. Um, but like I said, no touchdowns each of the last two weeks. Hasn't really been a big factor in the receiving game he's caught one pass in every game this year but that's kind of been it hasn't gotten in the end zone through the air since that week two game against Richmond Um, so maybe the ceiling not quite as high as we thought for AJ Dillon but there's also the argument to be made that he's long overdue to to find the end zone this week yeah so he's he's definitely a complicated case at 7,500 you know, and being the the second highest expensive uh, running back on the board, I could see a, a case where we don't see uh, outrageous ownership for for him. I think that you laid out a case where, yeah, he's not scoring touchdowns, and that's going to kind of make people consider some cheaper options that are going against maybe worse defenses and what Dylan is. So I'll have Dylan in a couple spots, but yeah, I'm not. I'm definitely not going to be over fifty percent of of my lineups uh, featuring Dylan because, like you said, the lack of touchdowns and NC State's. Uh, pretty tough against the run and with that freshman or the uh, inexperienced Dennis Grissel um, playing quarterback for for um, BC you figure NC State's going to try to just take AJ Dillon away as best as they can and, and try to make this quarterback throw on them a little bit and, mm-hmm. and see if see if he can so uh, that could end up working against Dillon in this one so again um, someone that I would I would at least keep one bit of exposure to but but not stacking up uh, in several lineups for sure mm-hmm uh, so other guys in the top tier, you know, of course, you have Chuba Hubbard, who is most weeks been either the first or second highest priced, uh, goes up against that Baylor defense this week. I mean, any concerns about what, what's an improved unit? He, you know, he is uh, going up against a fairly tough defense, but I think who, Chuba's basically matchup proof. Um, yeah, well, it, McNeese got him pretty good, only 44 yards. It sure did. Uh, they're, they're tough ones, those McNeese guys, but... Um, yeah, Ch- Chuba, eighty three hundred. Maybe that keeps the ownership uh, down a little bit, even though that that's not even all that expensive for for the number one running back on the board. Mostly because we don't have Jonathan Taylor on on this slate. But um, you know, if if Baylor puts the clamps down in the passing game, then I think we're going to see Chuba get a ton of work, and I think we're going to see Chuba get a ton of work regardless. And over over the course of you know. 28 30 Chuba Hubbard carries like your defense yep. is going to break at least once so yep. um, I, I I do trust him being able to hit value at 8300 a uh, guy that I'm fading from that upper tier would be Kylan Hill of Miss State and it, it's not because of him getting shut down against Tennessee but I think it, it's it's a bit of like a canary in the coal mine type of situation where um, we see defenses maybe being able to get the readout on this Miss State offense that is that has continued to have this identity crisis between Tommy Stevens and Garrett Schrader throughout throughout the course of the season. Now we have Garrett Schrader definitely getting the start against LSU, but I think LSU is just going to kind of do do that thing like I was just mentioning with AJ Dillon, where it's like, okay, you go ahead and try to beat us, Garrett Schrader, and you're you're not going to be able to. And Schrader can also take up some of the rushing production from mm-hmm. Kylan Hill, so all of that adds up to to me fading Hill. Um, Keyshawn Vaughn, usually a guy that that I 
would totally hammer. He's 7,000, um, but he's he got a little bit dinged up this past weekend going up against, and he's going up against Missouri. I just don't love that setup for him necessarily. Now, Travis Etienne at 7K, he's tempting. Yeah, so he finally got back on track uh, against Florida State this past weekend. 17 attempts, 127 yards. Didn't find the end zone uh, on the ground, but did catch a touchdown. That hasn't been a huge part of his game really since week one. Uh, but strangely, uh, he, he was 7,100 last week. Now he's at 7,000. Are they trying to bait you into playing Travis Etienne? It, f- it feels like it. It sure it. does. Like, I'll, and I keep falling for the Clemson traps. And like, like yeah. I don't know, last week it, it mostly worked out. I did avoid Etienne for the most part, but I, I did go after Ross, uh, a little bit of Higgins, and Lawrence. And I thought it, it ended up being fine. But yeah, he... Him at that price, especially when Clemson probably isn't going to need to be airing it out necessarily. Mm-hmm. Etn, yeah, maybe he's the one that's like overdue for that long run or, or the multi touchdown game more more than anything. So I I do think that he's someone that that maybe has burned uh, his investors enough to where the the ownership stays reasonable and mm-hmm. at seven k like it's you're not getting like a steal necessarily, but you almost prefer that for yep. for Etn. The thing with Clemson, I mean, it's it's hard to knock a team that's undefeated and is, you know, with the exception of the North Carolina game, like objectively still pummeling its opponents pretty good. But I, I thought we would have more of these games like last year where, you know, they're you know, they're approaching like forty points in the first half every single week. So, you know, we we talked early on in the season and even in the preseason about guys like Tua and Lawrence and, and ETN and even, you know, the Alabama receivers about you know, how do you weigh the the likelihood that they're only going to play two and a half or three quarters versus a full game, you know, of another guy who, who plays for a worse team. But I thought we would see more games from Clemson like Louisville last year where they put up 77. Yeah. You know? And it's not like Trevor Lawrence is on the field for all those, but he was on the field for a lot of them. And this year it's like they're having these big wins, but they're scoring 45 instead of 77 or, you know, they put up 63 on Wake. They put up 59 on Florida State. It, it just seems like the offense hasn't clicked to that ridiculous degree where you can almost throw out the possibility of, of a guy sitting the third quarter because the offense will already have 56 points by the time he's out of the game yeah that, no that, that's definitely true that's definitely been a running theme of this Clemson team it just hasn't been nearly as explosive as it was a year ago the defense has been like better than than I think many expected considering all that they lost especially on right. the defensive line um, and they have that Isaiah Simmons guy I don't know if you've watched him at all but he is unbelievable at linebacker he's like I don't know, prototype of some sort of new position that, that people will want to start playing. <laughs> Adelius Thomas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically, yeah, playing all 11 in, in one game or something. But, yeah, um, yeah I, I don't know. I think that this Clemson offense, it's still, like, it's still in sleeping giant mode. And maybe it wake, it, last week was the beginning yep. of it, of its wake up. You know, I think after barely beating out UNC, maybe that they, they, you know, are playing with a little bit more uh, fire under them. And they had, I think they had the bye week right after UNC. So they had a week to sit mm-hmm. and stew on it and be like, hey, like your, your season almost ended to freaking Mac Brown. Get it together. So um, I would I hope that's yeah. exactly what Dabo said. I would hope. I mean, maybe maybe not in so many words. Say, I don't know if he'd curse and say freaking, but he would maybe say something else. <laughs> Saying the Lord's word. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's look at the mid-tier guys at running back. Uh, Larry Roundtree. I know is a guy you like, uh, Chris Brown for Cal. Uh, just tell me about a few of these guys kind of in the mid-range. Yes, love Larry Roundtree this week. So just like I was saying with Kelly Bryant, uh, this Vanderbilt defense is definitely one to target. And Roundtree kind of carved out that workhorse role for Missouri. Sees 40% of the of the rushing workload for them. Gotten at least 15 carries in all but one of their games. Scored a touchdown in also all but one of their games. Uh, Gandy or Vandy gives up 
almost six yards a carry, which is just... Is that good or bad? Uh, it's on the bad ledger if you're Vanderbilt. Okay. It's on the good ledger if you're yes. uh, rooting for Missouri this weekend. So like Roundtree a lot, 6,700. I will probably have him in most, if not all, of my lineups. Chris Brown, um, someone that the matchup seems really good, but I'm kind of wondering if, if he's kind of just pretty average uh i mean like his his yards per carry is less than what oregon state's been giving up over the course of the season by like a a fair margin and i think if you took out chris brown's first game against uc davis i think it was when he ran for 196 his yards per carry is like 3.3 um so he gets the work but it's not uh particularly effective but maybe if you're betting on the volume stacking up against oregon state's defense that's giving up almost five yards a carry then i can buy into a, a little bit but maybe you look somewhere else in that backfield um a guy that's gonna be really chalky but i really like also Brees hall uh this freshman for iowa state kind of been waiting for him to to take off because he's pretty clearly the best running back on this team but they kind of farted around with like johnny lang and I, I know right um, i'm really letting him fly today <laughs> um kenny nuango and like a couple other guys that just sheldon crony just not really impressive players guys that are like hovering around four point you know, 4.0 yards per carry not completely unlike what david montgomery did there by the way sorry um but Brees hall last week total breakout game 26 carries 132 yards three touchdowns against west virginia texas tech isn't much better against the run and i think that at the very least we've established that hall is going to be that number one guy when it comes to this uh, iowa state backfield so i like him a lot at 5600 just don't think that you're like you know separating yourself from the pack necessarily Mm -hmm. by by rostering him um i I like the oklahoma running backs enough but i think like at this stage of the season you know what you're getting like at best you're getting like 80 yards and two touchdowns which is totally fine but betting on which one it's going to be is pretty much as good as flipping a coin between ramondre ramondre stevenson and trey sermon Mm -hmm. it gets even muddier if kennedy brooks is there so that's probably something that i'll just avoid for the most part uh jordan houston like i was talking about with bailey hockman uh, maybe getting the run running game part of this NC State offense going up against Boston College, which has been really bad this year against the run. Uh, Jordan Houston, pretty interesting guy, 4,900. He's starting to work his way into the rotation. Uh, Zonovan Knight, our guy, uh, also a big part of that rotation. But Houston, you know, I think from, from like a tournament theory aspect, I, I like him mm-hmm. a little bit more this week, 4,900. And then Auburn's backfield going up against Arkansas. So Cam Martin, I think, is going to be very trendy, 4,600 way underpriced given that he's probably going to be starting for Auburn um, but Sean Shivers 3900 might be the guy he might he might be the one to pivot to he's 3900 I was really hoping that was pronounced Shivers but I'll, we'll take Shivers that's still pretty good uh, all right let's look at the receivers um, unsurprisingly after last week CD Lamb climbs to the top he's at 7800 um, you have Jamar Chase of LSU who it, it, I was going to say he's been boom or bust, but he's basically been boom. I mean, there's been, uh, he's, been <laughs> yeah. he's been solo boom. Um, he was, he was of course the receiver who had four touchdowns and over 220 yards against Vanderbilt a few weeks ago. I uh, had another huge game against Florida this past weekend, two touchdowns, 127 yards. I mean, his, his worst fantasy showing of the year was in week one uh, against Georgia Southern when he had two catches for 21 yards uh, and a score in a game that, you know, was 55 to three and he was out early. Yeah, LSU uh, was spreading the love that game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, where, as someone who follows this stuff in the offseason a little more closely than I do, like, where were people at on Jamar Chase? Like, did people see this coming? Um, you know, he is one of those guys that it it's, you know, a lot like what we've seen with LSU receivers in the past where it's like the recruiting pedigree is really good. We just, you know, we've 
waited for so long for LSU to develop a viable NFL receiver. Who will be the next Dwayne Bow? Yes. And and really the next DJ Chark was sitting right there waiting for him. (laughs) And and he's you know, and he's ready to roll, man. So yeah, Chase Chase has always been an interesting guy that it's finally paying off. And I think that also like like you're mentioning uh, in that week one game that they hadn't really found their rhythm necessarily in Terrace Marshall. Um, I think that he's still going to be missing this game. So with him being out, the target tree is really narrowed. I think if you look at the targets spread from last week at, at LSU, it was 10 for Justin Jefferson and 10 for Jamar Chase. And then like a couple others just kind of strewn about. So it's clear that those two are going to be the ones that are going to eat and going up against Miss State. I think that they will. I think Miss State is teetering right now. I think that they are, I mean, dude, they, they got like beat by Tennessee last week. Pretty like, <laughs> you know, I'm the guy that, that did take the home out to South Carolina, but at least Georgia didn't lose to Tennessee, man. Uh, I think you need to start writing. I, I know other people do this, like a bottom, bottom 10, bottom five. Just like, I, I love hearing your thoughts on like the bad teams almost more than the good teams. I feel like that's kind of where you're, where you really thrive. I do love to it's rip like on stuff. Writing. So yeah, <laughs> you're so passionate about how bad these teams are <laughs> and making sure I know that they are this bad. Okay. I'm going um, yeah, to have to start doing yeah, that. Yeah, please do that. I don't know if you can find a fantasy angle. I don't know if it even has to be fantasy. Doesn't just, need to. just do it. Um, Tylen Wallace perennially, or I guess, perennially doesn't apply here whatever the perennially is but for weekly weekly at the top um he's at 7400 this week goes up against again that baylor defense that is much better against the pass even than they are against the rush a top 20 defense against wide receivers this year i mean is is there an argument that tylen wallace has the highest floor of any receiver in the country right now um you know at least for for this or for at least this slate you know that he's going to get a ton of targets and there's really no one else on that team that's going to be getting targets so you reason that Oklahoma State's going to be throwing it, what, like 35 times? And Wallace is probably going to see 12 to 15 of those, and, and you don't really think twice about it. So in a full-point PPR, um, even if he's doing a little bit less than his average in terms of uh, yards per target, you still figure that it's going to average out um, to a nice day overall with all the catches that he's going to be getting. Plus, that's not to undersell how explosive he is. And, and getting him at 7,400, even if Sanders can be a little bit scattershot sometimes, I, I still think that Wallace at that price tag, like you said, we love Baylor. We love Baylor's defense apparently, but um, yeah, I, th- I think that he can still you know have some success here. We have mm-hmm. him. I think it looks like the second highest projection among receivers on this slate this week, behind only C.D. Lamb, the goat. Only a couple guys to discuss in the mid tier, but Justin Ross is all the way down at fifty eight hundred. This is a guy who started the year week one at seventy nine hundred. This is his lowest price. He's just kind of been creeping lower and lower each year or each week. Um, you could get him at fifty nine hundred a week ago. Uh, did have two touchdowns in the, in that game, but uh, once again, it, it does feel like you're being baited into Justin Ross alongside ETN. Yeah, it's and again, I'm I'm just gonna fall for it. I think like you know, <laughs> especially especially if Higgins like isn't a hundred percent like. Clemson can totally afford to win this game without playing T Higgins, you know? So if there's even like a slight inkling that, that he's dinged up or less than a hundred percent, then, uh, yet yeah, Ross is probably going to see 10 targets and he's probably going to absolutely, you know, hammer, uh, the, the yards per target that, that he's kind of set up to this point. I know it's been pretty disappointing. He's, um, you know, like under nine yards per target or whatever compared to last year, uh, when he was just absolutely dominating, yeah, I, I think that we're going to continue to see positive regression when it when it comes to Justin Ross. I, I think last week, like I was saying about the rest of this Clemson offense, mm-hmm. was the beginning of, of them starting to take off. All right, let's take, uh, as we always do, a look at the discrepancies between the DraftKings and the FanDuel main slates on Saturday. 
uh, why is the Wisconsin game not a part of the DraftKings slate? Yet I do see it on the the main slate for FanDuel. Like what what goes into that decision? As someone who's more well versed in DFS than than I am, if FanDuel usually waits a little bit longer to to uh, throw out their or get their contests out there, and uh, I, they also have bigger main slates. It, that's, right. Those are like the two main differences. And then you're you're working with a slightly different salary cap. It's 60k on, on FanDuel versus 50 on DraftKings. So some of the prices seem a lot different than than they really are but i mean games that i would target um from from that uh from that slate like i love texas going up against kansas i, I would definitely go after some texas guys i love a&m guys going up against uh Ole miss this week and Ole miss um they've they've found this guy in john reese plumley a great name for a an Ole miss quarterback almost yeah. too good john reese yeah oh absolutely and, and you know how he spells reese <laughs> r-h-y-s Oh, come on. Like Reese Hoskins? Yep. Oh, goodness. Yeah, baby. So so he's been just running all over people. There, There's the, the concern that Ole Miss is going to rotate because Matt Corral is not happy with being benched, so they, they'll do a little bit of rotating. But Plumlee's a beast. Uh, but going up against Texas A&M, mm-hmm. it might be the week to, to stay off. Um, this Utah-Arizona State game, great for watching but bad for uh, dfs purposes that, that's one that i'll stay away from uh, tcu and kansas also or kansas state also equally an eyesore as far as um dfs uh is concerned so those are some games that I, that I would probably stay away from and then i would target this kind of the same games that i was targeting over on DraftKings. you know that, that baylor oklahoma state game uh that iowa state texas tech a little bit of clemson uh and a l- little bit of that uh, we got Florida State and Wake Forest on this slate too, so that's also an interesting one. Yeah, I'm looking at looking at this John Reese Plumley guy, and uh, he certainly fits the profile. The first photo of him on Google Images is him in a Georgia uniform. That's right. Georgia that's, tried to get him. Uh, Georgia had him committed, and then they had to blue shirt him, and then Ole Miss gave him a committable offer, so he took that instead. Sure. So good for him. All right, fair enough. Um, so the XFL draft very quietly happened yesterday. Uh, the last time we talked about the XFL was the day that they announced the logos and the team names. That's right. And I don't even remember which team I said I was going to align myself with. Uh, but now at least we have some players. And I, I combed through. They, they did the draft in three phases, which I thought was actually pretty interesting. Um, and it also sounded like they had the quarterback sorted out ahead of time. Like some teams I noticed like didn't draft a quarterback, but obviously they're going to have a quarterback. So it seems like that was like done separately. Hmm. And then they drafted skill position players in, in kind of one separate draft and then offensive linemen and then defensive players. Um, so kind of an interesting way to do it. And didn't recognize a lot of the names on the offensive or defensive line, believe it or not, very few defensive players, but I, I, I went down and or went through and, and took down a few names that stood out from each team. Uh, it turns out I will not be a DC defenders fan. They took Danelle Pumphrey. Oh yeah, you're like you're not like the biggest enemy. fraud of all time, and like tried to rob Ron Dane of the rushing <laughs> record, and like thankfully everybody was just like no, like nobody's gonna recognize this. Um, kind of glad he fell off the map as soon as he did. Uh, Tyree Jackson, the ex Buffalo QB, also a double DC Buffalo defender. QB. Uh, the Houston Roughnecks took Connor Cook. Bold. Yeah, uh, not a leader. So that was kind of strange. Did they, you know, did they not see Connor Cook's playoff performance in Houston from a couple years you ago? You would have thought if anybody did, it would be the Roughnecks, but mm-hmm. apparently not. I uh, love their pick in round three, though. They were able to get Sammy Coates, who I believe I was rostering on my stake team like either last year or definitely the year before. Like, he's going to be looking great 40 <laughs> yards down the field dropping passes from Connor Cook. Like That's going to that's gonna look sterling in, the, in those Roughnecks uniforms. I, I love that. Yeah, so I will not be a Roughnecks fan either, um, although I, I always did kind of like Sammy Coates and, and really wanted him to work out, but that was 
pretty clear early on that was not going to be the case. Yeah, cricket paddles for hands. Yes, yes. Uh, D'Angelo Yancey is playing for the New York Guardians. I was always I a little he bit of a Yancey truth. Oh, same here, yeah. like <laughs> Big and fast. Right. I mean, the thing is with those, those Purdue uniforms are extremely underrated. They're bad, so nobody ever talks about them, but that, they're kind of like Colorado, too. Like, arguably, my favorite uniform scheme is, like, black and gold, and mm-hmm. Purdue has great alternates, and when they have a cool skill position player, you know, such as Rondell Moore, they look even cooler. And D'Angelo Yancey certainly fit that, that bill a, a few years ago, so he's now in New York. Uh, is it Jeff Badet? Jeff Bidet? Bidet. Yeah, Jeff I always Bidet? I always said Bidet until like I, I yeah, saw so him on I. TV for I think when he transferred to Oklahoma. Yeah, I had heard multiple people uh, pronounce that different ways, but he's on the Dallas Renegades with Tommy Lee Lewis, Cameron Artis Payne, and Lance Dunbar. So Dallas fe- is loaded. I get the feeling that people still like someone's still out there has Cameron Artis Payne on their fantasy team. Like it just like, <laughs> like I'm a, waiting like for McCaffrey to get hurt. <laughs> it's gonna happen. He's gonna overtake McCaffrey. <laughs> Oh, man. Um, Davion Smith, ex-Michigan back, is playing for the Tampa Bay Vipers. Quentin Flowers, South Florida, also playing for Tampa Bay. I love that. And uh, Rennell Hall from UCF. So Tampa Bay and and Dallas, I think, right now are kind of neck and neck for my fanship. Okay, yeah. Those are are, – that's going to be tough to choose between. I I love all those guys. It is. But what if I told you that the St. Louis Battlehawks, which is a Mm -hmm. terrible name, have (laughs) both Christine Michael and Brogan Roback? Yeah. They took them back to back. That's powerful. That's really powerful. And I love Brogan Roback and Kristen, Christine Michael. If you ever had the faith once, you always will. It'll be like dormant in your yeah. in your genes. And and then, yeah, so I I still believe in Christine Michael, so he should take over. This will be like Trent Richardson of the AAF. Yeah, by far the best male athlete named Christine ever. Like, not even close. Probably, yeah. Uh, oh, the New York Guardians also have Matt McGloin, so just be prepared for that. Um <laughs> Landry Jones is playing for the Dallas Renegades. Him and Stoops back together. Yeah, I mean, could you imagine? Um, the Seattle Dragons have Kenneth Farrell, the ex-Charger. They have Fred Ross, ex-Mississippi State standout. They have Jason Morrow, and they have Keenan Reynolds. Jason Morrow, who like was actually drafted high. Yeah, like <laughs> there was actually hope for him. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, and then finishing it out, the Los Angeles Wildcats. Uh, what an original name. They have Elijah Hood and the great KD Cannon, who was a favorite of mine at Baylor. So. Oh, yeah, st- still believe in him, too. I will say I'm like mildly intrigued by the XFL. I will I will at least watch it. I couldn't get going for what was the last league? Was it the, the AAF? Yeah, the AAF. And I don't know. This this league I will at least have some intrigue. I think Cardell Jones is playing for the DC team. Um, I don't know. It'll it'll at least be interesting, and I, I think it'll probably last more than three weeks. I would hope. You know, I think it'll be one of those things where. Uh, you, I, and and the rest of people who even know what this is, we will watch that first week. Oh, that second week, we, we will completely forget that it exists. Well, Aaron Murray is also playing for the Tampa Bay team. Last last oh, note, okay. so right. I, I'm kind of that's in. enough to hook me back in. Actually, <clears throat> okay. Um, do you want to talk like looking ahead at the future? I don't know. Do we even have time? I feel like we kind of covered this at the top, but there there are so many scenarios at play over these next few weeks and. I think starting with week nine is is when the chaos is all gonna everything's gonna kind of start to topple. Yeah, I mean, you're you're concerning me in the sense that like now I'm really really gonna have to prepare prepare for next week's podcast because it is gonna be a doozy. It's gonna be a big one. We got we got a lot going on in week nine, week week eight, like you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I'm excited for that Oregon it's a week. I want Oregon to confirm my suspicions that they are actually good, um, and I would love to see them do that this week against mm-hmm. Washington. I think they have a chance to do it. Uh, we'll see. Um, but yeah, otherwise there aren't a ton of marquee games. I guess the the Penn State Michigan game. But yeah, next week it's gonna, you know, listener, 
listen up. It's going to be it's going to be sick. All right. Enjoy week eight. We'll save all of our looking ahead for next week. Let's cross our fingers that Georgia beats Kentucky and Wisconsin can squeak by Iowa or Illinois. I'm already shook in (laughs) Champaign. Uh, We'll be back next week. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.